Hi, hi, it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies and the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. I am so excited today to be joined by Eric Collins. Uh, I have been asking Eric and his team to get him on this interview for this podcast for a while now, and I'm so excited that he said yes and he's here. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joy. It's very good to be here with Tech Pixies. So thank you for having me and thinking of us and being persistent. So I first heard about you through one of our alumni who's in our program and they had watched the Moneymaker program on channel four and they then posted in our group about that, about one of the episodes and they said, everyone's got to go check this out. So I went and watched it and then I got a hooked on all your other episodes. I watched all of them and I just love the way you think. I love the way you work. I love everything about the way you view business. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I wanted to, to bring you onto the podcast. Now, you have launched an amazing venture capital company called Impact X, and I want to talk a little bit about that. So tell us about your role in Impact X and the companies that you have invested in. Well, thank you very much for all the compliments around the moneymaker. The moneymaker is sort of the kind of investing that I generally don't do, but it sort of shows the format that we take. I mean, being on channel four in a primetime television program where we get to invest and go visit various communities and various business contexts around the country and help organizations, particularly if you think about it, this was during the height of lockdown. And most of these companies are small companies, uh, very small companies, in fact, less than a million in turnover. And these organizations were trying to survive, not just to um, not to thrive, but just to be able to survive because they've never been in an economic situation like this. And as you think about it, most of us are sort of self-starters. We're trying to learn as we go. We, we grab as many books. We sort of talk to as many people as we can. But the question of do we actually have the expertise to be able to go from one very particular business situation to another is one of the challenges, which is the same thing then in terms of Impact X. We invest in underrepresented entrepreneurs and we do early stage investment. These are not organizations that just have an idea on a piece of paper. Our approach is to work with organizations that want to expand and grow. They figured out what their product is. They know what the market is. The fit of those two things is fine, but with an infusion of capital, they're going to be able to grow to a whole different scale. They might be able to expand from just being a Manchester-based business to being a nationwide business, from being a nationwide business to actually expanding into Europe and then maybe into the United States or into Asia. Our intention is to be their partner for that, both financially, but beyond financial, because we invest in underrepresented entrepreneurs. And underrepresented entrepreneurs means people that others don't invest in. We're looking for that inefficiency in the market. And those individuals who don't get investments, they're women and they're people of color here in the UK. And if you look at the numbers, uh, we um, helped to underwrite a study that was done last year, it was published last year, and it shows that less than 2.9% of capital that is invested using venture capital means goes to women in the UK. Less than 0.2% goes to black founders and less than 0.02% goes to women-led founders. So there's a market inefficiency when the rest of the money all goes to white male teams and the opportunity to invest in these very well-trained, great ideaed, hardworking and tenacious entrepreneurial groups even when you do that, there's still going to be those microaggressions. There's still going to be all sorts of things which in the context of their building businesses will stand in the way. And so ImpactX not only adds capital, but then we have some value addition, which is very particular because the people who invest in us are 
successful men and women from around the world who are also underrepresented. And the great thing is that they then want to lend their experience to new people who are coming into the uh, marketplace and often first time entrepreneurs. So it's a great sort of a set of assets we try to bring to make sure that these organizations don't just start off, but and not just survive, but they thrive. Well, and actually, that was something that I absolutely loved about Impact X is the initial investors, the initial group of people that backed it and set it up. They are from diverse backgrounds. They understand this challenge and they wanted to change things. And it was led by you, which I absolutely, absolutely love. Um, have you seen a change uh, since the Black Lives Matter protests? Has that has that affected things for you at all? That's an interesting question, Joy. Have I seen a change? Have I seen an articulation, a different sort of an articulation of a problem and that people are beginning to see the market inefficiency that we see? Absolutely. We're seeing much more conversation about it. Then the question is, a year, two years on from the time that George Floyd is murdered in front of our eyes, do we actually see more capital going to women, more capital going to people of color, we see lip service, but we're not seeing those assets that are actually changing. Asset managers, the people who control pension funds, the people who control insurance companies, the people who control um, all sorts of capital, which can then be invested into companies and often put into organizations like ours. We are fund managers, so asset allocators give us funds in order to bet, in order to invest on their behalf. We're not finding that those asset allocators, although talking a good game are throwing lots and lots of capital behind women and people of color who are fund managers. Uh, they meet a lot of us. They'll spend a lot of time evaluating us and then at the, they'll express a great deal of enthusiasm. And at the end of the day, they'll say, well, we want to wait a little longer. It's like, how much longer do you want to wait? Do you believe that the situation doesn't exist, that somehow it's going to go away without your active intervention and involvement? Is that how this works? And quite frankly, when I think about my own pension fund, you know, having, having worked here in the UK, it's like, well, I want my money to go into these sorts of situations. I don't want my money to just sort of sit and go into the traditional approach and generalist funds. I want them to go into money managers who are making a difference, who are actually spending time focused on what I believe are the right sort of societal interventions. So where George Floyd uh, and that murder raised awareness, the action that has come from it has not been speedy. And one of the things that it tells you, Joy, is that other people who don't find themselves in these categories of other generally don't see that there, there's something wrong with the world and that the platform, the bridge that they're trying to cross is burning or their house is on fire. They feel as though they can wait, they can study, they can look and be prudent. And those are some of the words that you'll see, you'll hear being used, which are all excuses for delay. So I would say that I am encouraged by the rhetoric and I'm not encouraged by the actions. That's really interesting. And in fact, now we're both American. <laughs> I'm from Colorado. Um, and I listened to a, a really fantastic interview you did early on when you were um, setting up ImpactX. And one of the things you talked about was the question was, why did you set this up in the UK and not in the US? And you made the point that actually in the US, uh, this is something that started to happen. There's over 200 funds, et cetera, in the US that are popping up to help women uh, and people of color. But interestingly enough, you felt like in the UK, the system was was we have an idea and we need a handout and that's going to support us to do this. It's not actually an investment and we're going to build this into a sustainable, profitable business. So 
I know um, that was that made a really big impression on me. Obviously, I've chosen to build my business in the UK as well. We started in the UK. We have big ambitions to go global, but we're mostly focused on the UK at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and and I felt, you know, I'm here because I married a, a Brit, and mm -hmm. you know, my 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 children, my life are here. But also, there was there's a there's a huge gap in in the UK for um, gender equality and for financial independence for women. Uh, and for tech uh, education for women. And that's really what we we exist to close the gap on. So I'm just curious a little bit more about why you set up in the UK and, and how you see it happening. If we can get people to you know actually invest and actually go beyond the lip service and actually see this as a real opportunity, what do you think is the benefit to society and the world? Look at the numbers overall. If you look at the numbers, and most of these are American numbers, because when you look at the rest of the world, the uh, rest of the world is in a slightly different situation, that 4% um, of venture capital uh, over the last decades, few decades, has gone to women-led companies. And when I say 4%, so that's 4% of 100% of venture capital. When I said the UK, it's less than 2.9%. So there's already a 1.1% difference between what happens in the rest of the world, which really means the United States and here in the UK. When you look at black entrepreneurs, the numbers are like 1% of venture capital goes to black entrepreneurs in the in the rest of the world. And that means really the United States. So there is a little bit more traction that has occurred. It's not great. Let me let me be clear. That is not, those are not great numbers, but they are, it's three times, it's no, four times the amount in for the UK in terms of black companies. We remember it's 0.24% here in the UK. So those numbers are very, very telling. When we look at issues also that are then the byproduct of some of this inefficiency and in investment and not creating businesses and not supporting communities, if you look a little bit further, in the UK, one out of two black families, and this is and this is black children in the UK, as a report that came out at the very beginning of this year, continues to reiterate, and this has been shown over a period of years, that one out of two black children is living in poverty in the UK. One out of two. Of white families, that's one out of five. So wow. those that difference is very, very stark. The question of, and the numbers, I don't have those specific numbers for the United States, but they do differ again there. The question of, is there something here is there no reason to be here? And in fact, things are just great. And we actually live in a paradise called the UK in terms of inclusion, diversity, equitable investment, we see that that is actually not the case. In the United States, as you mentioned, just in terms of BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, that's what BIPOC stands for. In the United States, there are about 250, we're beginning to approach 300 firms that have that as a mandate to invest in or are started by women, uh, people of color. And we actually see that that has been going on. The first company that we see that was a venture capital company in the United States that had a mission around investing in black entrepreneurs and started as a black venture capital company started in 1971. Wow. Here in the UK, we don't have any of those organizations. ImpactX started in 2018. Until so you, until you, which is why right. I love what you're doing because I love that you saw the gap and you said, mm -hmm. I'm gonna solve this. I'm gonna solve this in a way that is not just about, oh, let's just throw money at it. Let's actually build something that's sustainable and outlasts us and creates a long-term impact. And I think 
you know, we have at Tech Pixies, we have um, we have scholarships for women who come from BAME, LGBTQ plus, 60 plus, and so lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And we see their lives transform before our eyes. And it's not just their lives, it's their children's lives. And it's their niece and nephew's lives and their, you know, their, their parents' lives. Because once one person's life changes and transforms, the people around them also change and transform. And that's a lot of the work that we're doing. It's not just about social media. We know, we know that when someone's doing social media, they come up against all, we call them ants, all sorts of automatic negative thoughts, you know, perfectionism. <laughs> Imposter yeah. syndrome, perfection, and we, we want to squash the ants and overcome. So we do a lot of so, um, subconscious reprogramming for women mm -hmm. to help them overcome these barriers and blocks that, that get in front of them as they're just going to post on social media. What we know is once they start getting comfortable posting on social media, once they get start getting comfortable put, you know, talking on camera and sharing their products and really starting to lean into who they really are supposed to be, that's when their life starts to change and they are able to do the next thing. And that's where we're seeing a lot of women in our community starting up businesses. They're not yet at the level where they're thinking about investment. We only have a few women who are at that level kind of going, okay, now I want to take my mm -hmm. business scale like and investment and, and do that. But, you know, it's interesting because I think for women, it's very difficult um, for, for most women to to understand this concept of what investment is, what exit is, what building a, a business that scales is, because we're not exposed to it. And there's, there's, you know, on I can count on one hand, you know, the uh, Jamie Kern Limas and the Sarah Blakely's, uh, you know, and the D Dame Stephanie Shirley's that have shared their story. And there's, there's not that many of them, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to, we have to, we have to lean into those amazing stories. Um, Oprah, of course, is an incredible story. Um, and, you know, we lean into these stories and we, we have to take from them. But we also have to go. They were once someone who had an idea, didn't have the capital to start it. And they, they ended up creating these billion dollar businesses. I, I think it's so inspirational to read those stories and to know that it's possible but what do you see? You work with a lot of obviously female founders, obviously um, people from diverse backgrounds. What do you see as the difference between the person who you would invest in that's, you know, that's that's ready to take that leap and grow their business and go to the next level and the person who's who's not quite there yet? What what would how would you help someone, you know, go from there to there, cross that bridge? It's, you, very good questions. Uh, and to try and there's this concept called unconscious competence the idea that there's certain things that you do and that you have to at some point try if you're going to be talking to others and teaching others you've got to then be able to take it out of your head and sort of just a series of reflexive and sort of muscle memory and then be able to talk about it more systematically uh, and this is something that i actually talk to entrepreneurs about the first sales that any entrepreneur has so a female entrepreneur has is probably going to be done by the founders they are going to go out and they're going to find the first customers. They are going to do all those sorts of things, particularly if they're in a business to business context. So they're selling something, whether it be SaaS based businesses or they are working through retailers in order to get their products on the shelves. They're doing a business to business sale. The question of and this is an answer to your question. How do you actually transfer from your unconscious competence to a systematic approach, which can then be uh, leveraged through other individuals who didn't start with you, don't have the same belief in your organization that you do, probably don't have the same lived and shared experiences. And then those people be genuine and authentic advocates in the marketplace on your behalf. When you are at that point, that is a trigger for you. That's probably an indication that, ah, 
I, I can't solve all of the problems. I can't go to meet all of the people. I can't address all of the needs. That's, a, that's an indication that I need to think about what do I need to add to the mix in order to make it in order to make it work a little bit better. I think we find very frequently we're in a tech we're in a tech driven world. All organizations are generally tech enabled. Every every organization that is selling something, whether you are a hairdresser, whether you are a challenger bank, you are going to be in a transactional business. And in that transactional business, you're likely going to be using technology in order to get money in and then pay bills and that sort of thing. So almost every organization out there is, no matter how hands-on, is tech enabled. Many organizations I find that are started by women and people of color come with a very, very good idea. And I see many of them don't have the technical background to actually build their ideas. So what I often will find is that those individuals are then going offshore and they are spending time trying to find the right organization or set of people who can actually build something to their specifications. And these are individuals who've never then done a technical specification, you know, market analysis, which then leads to market requirements. The market requirements led to um, product specifications. The product specifications learn to lead to technical specifications and technical specifications lead to build specifications. So if you decide that you're going to have a web-based or an app-based solution, in order to go from I have an idea to how does it actually get built correctly? There are a number of steps and all of them are really enhanced by having technical expertise at your disposal, whether it be your own or whether you bring it in. Frequently what I find, and this is what tells me that it's that we have a founder who is going to be the kind that we can actually invest in, aside from all the other things, they have great ideas, they're energetic, they're tenacious, that they actually then know the gaps that they cannot satisfy themselves and have figured out the most effective fashion, not for the short term, but for the long term. So when I see a person who has who has a marketing background or has a um, or has a um, financial background and they say, I'm going to disrupt the market, the advertising tech company, I'm going to disrupt the um, the financial um, the fintech and I'm going to create a fintech in order to you know disrupt things. When they partner with technical expertise and they have persuaded that individual or individuals to come on board and share the vision and maybe even become a co-founder, that's when I know that a person has at least that's a trigger for me, that this is an individual who has a sense as to what this really takes, that it is not going to be a it's mine, mine, mine. It's something that I do on my own, but that I have got to be a leader, which then attracts other people into this idea. Because it's very hard for an organization like mine to, um, it's very hard for people to invest in me if I were just a, a team of one. My team is five people and we work, you know, we're full time who work on this particular issue. So people are a little bit more satisfied that if Eric, you know, decides one day that this isn't for him, uh, my family situation happens so that I need to take care of kids and parents and I don't have time for it, that there's someone else who can actually pick up the slack and that there'll be ebbs and flows that happen. So it's very hard for me to say to a single individual who comes to me with an idea, I've got a great idea and I'm going to build this out. And I see no traction and I see no other members of your team. I just see a good idea. That's a hard, that's, that's almost impossible to invest in. And I would let people know that on your on your podcast. I, I think that's great. You just touched on a major, major point because mm -hmm. I think before a woman even goes for investment, they've got to be comfortable hiring someone and mm -hmm. building out that team and figuring out how to fund that first person. And I, I remember hiring my first person and being scared to death. Um, mm -hmm. But the local council gave me a grant uh, so that I could fund his first two months salary. And then it was like, I had two months to figure out how to keep paying him. And, you know, and I did, and I paid him for, for years until he mm -hmm. moved on to the next thing. 
So I do think it's really interesting, you know, right, you're not going to go from being, oh, I have this idea, single person, no, no partners to getting investment, you do have to sort of build that up. Um, but I think one of the hurdles that women do need to and people of color, anyone going for investment has to mm -hmm. overcome is it's not just going to be me. Like I've got to go beyond me. There's no way a single person can scale a massive business. Um, when when women are going for VC funding, what what are some of your top tips and, and people of color? Let's just talk about both, you know, but as they're going for VC funding, what's what are some of the tips that you have? I know. When, when I was raising my first um, 150,000, the advice I got was to put everybody, all the, all the potential investors in a room and to pitch them all together rather than to go one and one and one and one. Um, because the, the, the advice I got was that it would create an energy and a buzz in the room and people would want to be in on the idea. And, uh, and that's actually what happened. And it was really, really fabulous. And I only had to do two big pitches. I was <laughs> totally nervous. And, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, and I was like shaking and I, and I was just so appreciative because I had a couple of friends in there and one of them filmed me and they said, well, when you got to the money part, you like shrunk and got really tiny and, you know, and so I was great for learning body language as well. But those, that was one of the tips I got. And I think that served me really well. And to, also to go in with confidence, but VC funding is, is different than the angel round, different from the friends and family round. What, what's the leap you've got to make from the 150 to the million ask? Uh, so I do like the idea that there is this fear of missing out. And that is one of the things that is a useful tailwind for you. Not a headwind. A headwind means it's resistant, but a tailwind to help to propel you. So that energy which can be generated because others fear missing out. Now, you have to have something that people fear missing out. Sometimes you get people there and it's like, well, this is bad and everyone thinks it's bad. So then that's a whole different thing. So congratulations to, to get people to understand that this is something that's worthwhile and to get some excitement around that. Uh, the other thing I believe that everyone who is a founder needs to understand is that Although you'll hear all this conversation about there's lots and lots of money in the system and there's lots of money to be invested. And because of the uh, EIS program, the SEIS program, which is unique to the UK, there are uh, investors who want to put hundreds of thousands into businesses, even if they lose it all, there's still benefits that come from the government. So it's fairly well protected. There's very it's very risk mitigated that, quite frankly, there are thousands of great ideas that are coming across our desk on an annual basis. Our pipeline of Impact X, because of the television show, because of our reputation in the marketplace, because of the success we've had investing in some in companies in the digital and technology space, the health, education, lifestyle space, and the media and entertainment, has meant that we get a lot of inbound, un, un, unsolicited um, inquiries as to can we uh, get funding from you. So there are a lot. There's a lot of competition out there. People who are experienced teams who have been in, who have actually started other businesses. They've either succeeded or failed. People who have been in industries and understand the ins and outs of disruption from crypto straight through to how do we make better films and television programs. So to the extent, and that quite frankly, this is only one market. That this is a world. This is a global economy. So there are people. There's someone sitting in India. There is someone sitting in Kenya who probably is coming up with the same idea and working you know, twice as hard as any of us to try and get it to market. So the idea that you are coming, that there, the time is on your hands and that you have the, uh, and you have your, the opportunity to select slowly what to do and to, and to implement steps slowly is in my opinion, a recipe for disaster. So when a person comes to me, what I want them to understand and the thing that the one thing I would say is you need to not think about what is it I'm going to be saying 
what I want to say, but it's what is the other side hearing? These are venture capitalists or these are friends and family or these are angel investors who are most likely a little bit jaded, have heard that day probably three other pitches. So the question is, how do you get into their shoes to understand what it is that gets you out of the noise and makes you more of the signal? The noise is all of the background that, you know, is useless and you have to cut through the noise in order to get to the signal to see exactly what is being said. So what is the signal that when hit when hits the ears of the venture capitalist, when hits the ears of the angel investor, when hits the ears of friends and family is going to make them sit up and, and take stock of this? The funny thing is, I get, can I say one thing, Joy? I get story after story, not about how the person who is in front of me has actually developed a, a great idea and where that idea comes from. What I get is these histories of hardship. And it's very interesting. And, and you know, and I imagine people are telling me with that that they are really tenacious. I, you know, grew up in this sort of a situation. I uh, put myself through this kind of an opportunity to get further along. I sacrificed these sorts of things. All of those things are part of a tenacity that helps to show. But you know what? Those are just table stakes. Most people who come to us as entrepreneurs find that the system doesn't work for them. That's the whole reason they are outside of the system. If the system worked for them, they'd be prime minister. If the system worked for them, they would be working in the Bank of England. The system is not working. We assume the system is not working. There's no need to prove to us that by your background that the system isn't working and you've overcome. The, the point being that in terms of that tenacity, in terms of your otherness, you have been able to then see something interesting and new, and you have been able to show something which is future resistant, if not future enhanced, and this is what you're bringing to us. And by getting on board and partnering with you, we have an opportunity that will not otherwise be available because the day of the Jeff Bezos and the days of the Mark Zuckerberg and the days of the Bill Gates and the day, you know, just name all the white men who have started these big companies is in your opinion coming to an end or at least going to be encroached upon by women and people of color. And this is why that is the case. And this is how I'm going to do it. That's what we're interested in hearing. I'm, I'm fantastic to know that you, you know, had to do this and you had to do that. And you had to raise this and you had to do all those things. All those things are quite, quite important, but it's not going to be the thing which is going to lead someone to say, ah, you know, we share some of this background. We share these sorts of attributes. What it's going to be is that you have got a future opportunity that I, like we talked about before, the fear of missing out. I cannot miss out on this opportunity and this, and, and this uh, entrepreneurial team. Oh, I love that. So, I mean, it's it's figuring out how to paint the picture in a way that doesn't get stuck in the past. It's, you know, it's really focused, future focused and and painting what the, the world can be like with this product and this team. I love that. Um, so there's, I mean, there's all sorts of questions and we don't have a ton of time left. So I, I just want to sort of um, maybe come to one of the questions I was most excited to ask you about. What was the best pitch that you ever received? Uh, and 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 also, what was the worst? I would love I would love to know those two. The best pitch I've ever received. You know, I receive we receive probably eighty or a hundred pitches a month. So, and these are sometimes written. And of those, we have invested in about two percent of all the companies that we that we hear. So I see a, I see a lot of pitches. I get pitched 
if people find my telephone number, I get pitched on the telephone, which I generally have to hang up and schedule another meeting. We get pitched through we on our website, www.impactxcapital.com. You can go there. There's a form that you, you go at the bottom. It says for entrepreneurs. Go there and you can fill in an intake form. So I get pitched that way. I get pitched a number of ways. The, the things I would let me let me not focus on one. There are many that have been sensational. What I would say is the thing that I have seen that has impressed me most in terms of these pitches is individuals who come in with a sense of opportunity and excitement that is grounded in fact. Mm. So, you know, opportunity, enthusiasm is one thing. It's like, I know this is going to work. Okay, I get it. And you, everyone thinks it's going to work. And then the what and we know that most that of even in our portfolio, probably 40 to 60 percent of the companies that we even invest in, not the ones we talked to, but we invest in are going to fail. And when we say fail, it doesn't mean they're going to go out of business. It's just that they're not going to make the returns that I need to make. People who invest in me are expecting to get 10 times what they put in in somewhere between three and five years. That's what they're expecting to get. And that's sort of what the industry has been delivering. So that's what they're expecting. An organization that brings gives back only the money they have or even brings back twice the money or even three times the money is not that it doesn't fit the venture capital paradigm. So, you know, people who understand and come in with enthusiasm and understand that they have got to show me something. Don't make me work for it. You have got to show me how this is a 10x return possibility. And then also your mitigation strategy to make sure that, you know, they're going to be twists and turns along the way. What do you have? Do you have a great team that is, you know, very well suited to each other, has done some things like this before? Are you able to attract other talent? Show me what is your plan. Not, not, and then also don't show me what your plan is, but show me what you have done in order to evidence that your plan actually is working. Show me that you have actually put your money into this. I'm not putting my money in unless you put your money in. Let's be clear. If you come to me and say, well, I don't really have the money. It's like, well, I don't have the money. It might be such a good idea, but you don't have any, you, you, you haven't quit your job. You haven't sort of, you know, been on your last, on your last, you know, your last pound. You are instead saying, I want to take very few risks, but I want you to take risks with your money. So why don't you give me your money? So again, some of this is standing in the feet of the, in the shoes of the, of the venture capitalist or the angel investor or the um, friends and family. But a lot of it is just saying that I need you to really be prepared. And the preparation means that you have actually evidence that you've done things before you are able to say, what have you learned from what has happened up to this point? And you are able to specifically state that by having this amount of capital that is going into this company, these are the things that will result from that. And at which point I will be at this particular stage. And then I will try and raise money again based on these other things. You've got to, it's, it's like, it's like going on vacation to say you go on vacation to China. Uh, so many people do. You don't speak any Chinese, yet you expect to be able to get all of your needs met. If you come into a venture capital meeting and you don't speak venture capital at all, that's hard to have a good communication. And you will find yourself constantly being called out on that and constantly on the back foot. There are ways to be prepared for that. So as a general rule, that's, that's all I'm saying. Come in with enthusiastic, all oh, that's great. Come in with a great idea, that's table stakes. Come in showing us what you've done, how you've invested up to this point, 
show us the opportunity and how we you, we make back all the capital that we need to make back in order to satisfy our needs, and then show us how you are going to mitigate when there are all sorts of twists and turns, and not just in the past, meaning your past life, you've been able to, you know, drop out of school and those sorts of things, and you've been able to twist and turn yourselves to get to this meeting. That's not what I'm looking for. Within the business, within what you're doing, how do you twist and turn to get to the next level? And then how do you, will you continue to do that going forward? Those are the things that make for a great pitch. Now, a terrible pitch, there's so many of those. <laughs> the opposite of what I think, and that's a terrible pitch. <laughs> well, I missed that part, the last part, I was laughing, sorry. Oh, well, the one thing I would say, I was saying the opposite of what I said before of a great pitch, that's what a terrible pitch is. But the other thing that I would say is very seriously, there are, there are individuals who write me all the time. You can imagine, it, us trying to schedule this meeting was challenging enough, Joy, but you can imagine when someone writes to me and say, say I don't really have an idea but I want to talk with you. I, and it would be great let's have to a get coffee. Yeah, let's have a coffee. Let's I'd like you to get a mentor and I would like for you to mentor me. It's like, hmm. Now, how is that going to happen with you know 25 investments that I have to look over and the like? I'm happy to answer some questions. That's that's true. If people hadn't been generous to me and sort of taken taken me on when I had when I was just you know considering things, that's one thing. But you must be realistic as to what is going to happen. When you come to a person and say, I have an idea and I'd like to just chat with you about it. I'm an investor. That's your first, and that's my first impression of you. I will never forget that first impression. So if you do not come, if I, and the people who I invest in, they come to me for their first meeting also, and they're ready for an investment. If you come to me and you're ready to think about something with me and you get time on the calendar and that's what I see, I'm, I will constantly think of you as unprepared. And it will take a long time for me to get outside of that. Is this person really prepared? Um, so don't 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 do yourself the disservice of saying, well, let me write Eric and let me see if I can get him to, you know, mentor me for a while so I can get to another point. Do do some other work and then come to me ready to speak venture capital, and then we can have a conversation. It'll be much better for both for for all of us. I love it. Well, now listen, you've been generous with your time. We've gone over. I want to say thank you so much for uh, this very enlightening conversation. I think any woman, any person of color that is going to raise money through venture capital needs to listen to this interview. There are so many golden nuggets in it. And I know we'll definitely be promoting it across our social channels. Um, are there any founders that you've invested in that you want to do a shout out to uh, or and or where can people find out more information about you? Oh, that's, thank you. That's very generous. I would say that the founders, the founders that I would give a shout out to are Various. There's one in particular that the founders of a team called Marshmallow. This is the insured tech company. We invested in them when they had a 30 million pre-money valuation. These are all heady numbers. For people who are just starting out, these are heady numbers. Um, and 18 months later, after we had invested and they were worth 30 million, they're worth 1.2 billion. Wow. That's the kind of growth that we can expect. When you come to us, think about that. It's like, that's what we're really looking for. We want to see more of those sorts of companies. And we believe that those are black companies and women-led companies and older entrepreneurs and people with disability. This is all what we, will, we expect to see from, from those groups. We are very non-concessionary. So Marshmallow is one we've invested recently in two organizations. One's called Health and Her, which is out of Wales. Um, uh, Premenopausal, paramenopausal, paramenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal, um, digital health solution. We, we like this company. That founding team is great. We've also invested in a sensational company called um, 
Afrocentrics, and so Afrocentrics, which is a, a curly hair company, and then one that's uh, that's out of the ordinary is Unique, Y O U N E E K, which is actually a graphic novel company that is um, partnering in order to make sure that you, they have these stories of the uh, of African superheroes that are being told through graphic novel format, and then also now are being animated by various um, big animation companies. Oh, I love that so much. My son is massively into graphic novels and oh, I just, yeah. that is so cool. All right, those yeah, are great to... shout outs. And, and how can people find you? People can find me in many different ways. Most importantly, I think uh, for this audience, is that there's a book coming out in um, September called We Don't Need Permission. This is this is a, a conversation based on some of the live the life that I've lived up until this point, and including Impact X as well as the television show The Money Maker. Why do we need businesses in order to change communities, and how do we actually build businesses of scale that will hire, promote, create wealth for these communities, and by doing that, be able to underwrite all of the campaigns, all of the missions and all of the movements we wish to, and why we have problems up to this point because we just don't have that sort of capital to invest in ourselves, whether it be investment directly in companies or investing in some of the things that make life better and the world a better place. So look out for We Don't Need Permissions coming out from Random House in September. Well, that's perfect because we have something called the Joy Book Club and we oh. invite authors to come in every quarter and we're looking for an author for the second half of the year for those two quarters. So I'd love to have you back and we can interview you about the book. Love Eric, that. this has been a complete pleasure um, for me. I, you know, it's a dream come true. I've, I, I've wanted to meet you for many, many months and I'm so thankful that you gave us the time uh, and I appreciate Eric. the advice. Thank you and Tech Pixies. It's, I'm glad that you're around. I'm glad you're doing this sort of thing. And hopefully some of the things I've talked about will be helpful to entrepreneurs because I want to see a different UK filled with, with businesses that are sustainable and growing businesses by women and people of color. That's what we're all about at ImpactX. That's what we expect to see. And we don't expect to see it 20 years from now. We expect to see it this year, next year, and the next year. Amen to that.